Welcome to the Living Healthy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to health, fitness, exercise, medicine, diet, nutrition, as well as eating clean, organic, and non-GMO foods. Let's live the journey through weight loss, weight management, and accomplishing goals. I'm your host, Eddie Randall. Thank you for tuning in to Season 3, Episode 14 of the Living Healthy Podcast. Your continued listening and your continued support are greatly appreciated. Please feel free to check out the latest merchandise at the Living Healthy Podcast store. The link is in the description of the podcast. As humans, we're prone to develop cancer and other physical ailments as we age. Aside from genetics, depending on our diet, we would live normal, disease-free, and healthy lives. Thankfully, the majority of people make the effort to eat healthy, which includes fruits and vegetables. However, it's important to try to avoid conventional and GMO foods. Man-made chemicals are used in the food industry, and they unfortunately have the propensity to cause cancer. In addition, many act as endocrine disruptors. Tonight, I'll be discussing conventional, GMO, and organic foods, their differences, and some chemicals that are used. For tonight's podcast, I have a special guest, Ms. Sherry Johnson. She's a certified holistic health and life coach. She helps women to live healthier lives by eating clean, healthy food and making better decisions through lifestyle changes. Sherry utilizes functional nutrition practices to help you find the root causes of your chronic health issues and then works with you as a team to strategize a plan unique for your health goals. You can book a free consultation with her at her website, empoweredhealthcoaching.com. I've also included a link to her website in the description of the podcast. Thank you for being here, Sherry, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Eddie. I feel honored to be invited to chat with you on this topic for your podcast. I've seen what the power of eating real food and living a healthy lifestyle can do personally in my family and my own life. In a nutshell, my story is about weaning my 11-year-old Jordan off of ADHD meds and moving our whole family to eating real food, not packaged, and living a healthier lifestyle. Changing our whole family wasn't easy, as I also had a 13-year-old. Not ideal ages to change their food choices. But the benefits were amazing. We all slept better. We had more energy. My husband and I lost weight without trying. Our moods were more even. And Jordan went on to graduate from college with a master's from Florida State University on the dean's list without any medications. 18 years later, Jordan is still med-free, thriving, and working in New York at Cornell University. What you eat really does matter to the health of your body and mind. Through my studies, I have found that genetics play a small role, maybe around 5 to 10% in the diseases you may get. What you eat, your lifestyle, and toxins contribute to turning genes on and off. Just because your parents, grandparents, or siblings had cancer 
diabetes, heart disease, etc., doesn't mean you will also fall victim to that disease. Think about it. What you eat and your lifestyle are probably very similar to your family's. By making changes, you may not go down the same health path they did. Please don't fear, but feel empowered as you do have decent control of your future health. Your body is very forgiving, and you can start making changes and feel the difference at any age. Genetically modified organisms, or GMOs, or as they like to call them now, genetically engineered foods, or GE, manipulate the DNA of your food. I totally agree, Eddie. The man-made chemicals used, such as glyphosate, which is Roundup, are cancer-causing, and endocrine disruptors, which also disrupt our hormones. Congratulations for what you've done with your family. It's not easy at all for everyone to get on board with a sudden lifestyle change. But as you stated, the benefits of switching to a healthier lifestyle are well worth it. For obvious reasons, uh, pesticides are used on fruits and vegetables to kill insects and to prevent mold and fungus growth. Otherwise, farmers would not be able to grow the product. We would not be able to have any fruits and vegetables if pesticides were not used. That being said, organic fruits and vegetables are sprayed just like conventional fruits and vegetables. The difference is that organic fruits and vegetables are treated with organic pesticides and organic herbicides. This is why it's always good to opt for organic. In regard to conventional, some are sprayed more heavily than others due to the fact that some fruit and vegetables are prone to insects feeding on them more. We all know about the uh, Dirty Dozen, which includes strawberries, spinach, peaches, kale, blueberries, grapes, and apples, uh, to name a few. These are fruits and vegetables that we commonly eat, and in their natural state, they are completely healthy, offering a significant source of vitamins, antioxidants, minerals, and fiber. That being said, there are some seriously questionable chemicals that are used. Melathion, which is an organophosphate, is one such pesticide used in the U.S. It is a known endocrine disruptor, and studies have linked it to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Despite this, it's still being used in the United States. Benzalide is a herbicide that is used on carrots and leafy greens to control weeds. It is also toxic to humans and wildlife. It is a neurotoxin and a cholinesterase inhibitor. Exposure to this can cause irregular heartbeat and low blood pressure. Unfortunately, the U.S. still uses benzolide. True, Eddie. The pesticides used on organic produce are definitely better. Yes, they are still sprayed, but what is used is not as toxic. I'm curious, what was used many years ago prior to these organic or toxic chemicals? Farmers were still able to grow produce. They used different practices. I'm not a farmer, but I've tried electroculture with some of the plants that I have in my house and various fruit trees outside. I have seen a difference in my plants. I looked into it when I saw a few videos from reputable people. Electroculture dates back to the mid-1700s. From an article on electroculture gardening, it attempts to stimulate plant growth and improve crop yields by giving plants electricity as an energy source. There are a few advantages as a result. The garden allegedly then needs no pesticides, 
fertilizers, or manure. Legend also says that plants grow better and yield more crops, which makes a case that electroculture could be a game changer for growing produce to feed larger populations. So what I did was you use copper or brass wire wrapped clockwise around a wooden stick to make an atmospheric antenna and then push it into the ground near the plant. I know this sounds crazy if you haven't heard about it, but I have witnessed new growth on my plants and more fruit on my fruit tree after putting the sticks near certain plants. Anyway, something to research if you're curious, growing your own food, or even want more flowers on your plants. Yes, Eddie, it is crazy. The toxic chemicals that are allowed to be sprayed on our produce. Why? They are known to cause cancer, are neurotoxins, and are known to be endocrine disruptors, which is, again, going to disrupt your hormones. Other countries don't allow a lot of these chemicals, or even GMO, or GE foods to be imported into their countries. Yet, when I went to Europe, I saw some of the same U.S. brands on their shelves. The difference? They changed the ingredients to be healthier. So how is this cost-effective for the U.S. company? Why do they create a healthier version to export and a toxic version for the U.S.? Something to ponder. That's funny that you should mention electroculture. About a month ago, I came across a video where a gentleman was explaining how it worked and I thought it was fascinating. I was talking with my family saying, the next time I'm out, I'm gonna pick up some copper and I'm gonna give this a try. And I agree with what you're saying about the toxic food um, that's sold here to us in the US, but not in the European Union because the EU won't put up with that. Thankfully, the EPA does its part to try to keep us all safe. As of August 2023, they've banned the use of dimethyl tetrachloroterephthalate, or DCPA. That being said, the European Union banned it back in 2009. It's listed as a carcinogen, and it's a herbicide that was used on grass, strawberries, vegetables, and various beans. Also in 2021, the U.S. banned chlorpyrifos. The European Union banned it a year earlier in 2020. Uh, it's a potential carcinogen, and it's a neurotoxin that can affect child development. There's an article on NIH.gov called Chlorpyrifos and Malathion have opposite effects on behaviors and brain size that are not correlated to changes in ACHE activity. It's by Rickendorfer and Cretton. They conducted a study involving zebrafish and their larvae. They determined that exposing the larvae even to the smallest amount of chlorpyrifos resulted in smaller brain sizes during the developmental stages. It's good that it's banned, but the unfortunate thing is that it seems as soon as one gets banned, the thing that replaces it is found out to be worse years later down the line. Let's hope that doesn't happen. I'm very glad these chemicals are being banned here in the U.S., I don't understand why the U.S. took 14 years to ban DCPA after the EU did. For 14 years, it was a known carcinogen. I found over 6,500 studies on PubMed or NIH for chlorpyrifos dating back to 1970. I'm not sure why it took so long to ban it. They've been using it for over 50 years. The problem with these chemicals is the long-term effects on our health is not known. 
the EPA is getting ready to approve the use of chlormaquat chloride on wheat, barley, oats, and other grains and permit residues in our milk, meat, dairy, and eggs. In animal studies, it was found to be an extremely hazardous agrochemical linked at low doses of exposure has been found to disrupt fetal growth, altering metabolism, delaying development during puberty, creating fertility issues through affecting sperm motility, and decreasing testosterone, as well as harming the nervous system. This may be worse than glyphosate or Roundup. On the PubMed NIH website, I found over 184 articles dating back to 1971, proving the extremely hazardous health issues found while studying animals. What will this do to our children's health, or even our own health? I know what you mean. It's terrible. Uh, thank goodness that as Americans, we have access to information and research studies, as well as access to cleaner food. So we don't have to settle. Uh, Long-term exposure to some of these chemicals are uncertain, to say the least. I want to thank you for supporting me by listening to the Living Healthy Podcast. My podcast is listed on many platforms, including Anchor, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many, many others. Please follow me on Tumblr, X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, and Rumble. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover, please don't hesitate to ask. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please contact me at livinghealthylivinghealthy at gmail.com. In addition, please check out the Living Healthy Podcast store. The link is in the description of the podcast. And now back to the show. There is big money in the pesticide and herbicide industry. It's a $27 billion a year industry. The FDA does its best to work with farmers, agrochemical companies, scientists, and federal law to get us the safest food for our families. At times, it seems as if not enough research has been done on particular chemicals before they're used, but that's not always the case. I always say that manufacturers want to give us clean and safe food, However, with the population climbing exponentially, the demand for food goes up. The laws around pesticides and herbicide use are intricate and complicated to say the least, but the law is followed while taking into account scientific research and trials. So essentially, food safety has two components, what can safely be used and meeting the needs of population growth. Once it's been determined that a chemical is a liability to health, it will be discontinued phased out, or banned. One of the main issues is the big money that is made by big ag, big food, and then eventually big pharma through the use of these chemicals and the detriment to our health. Unfortunately, the FDA, EPA, etc. don't seem to pay heed to the testing that was done on animals before using on our food supply. Chlormaquat chloride, as I mentioned previously, is a great example it seems to take quite a while to get some of these highly toxic chemicals banned from use, such as the 14 years to ban DCPA after the EU did. 
I ran across a video that talked about surface and finishing agents on fruits and vegetables. I'd never given it um, that much thought, but um, personally, when I see conventional apples and even some organic ones that are extremely shiny, it's a huge turnoff for me. Um, they look like they've just been polished with some type of coating. And um, anyway, I, I wanted to find out more about this, so I started searching online and I ran across one of your videos which talked about a finishing agent on fruit called Appeal. Could you elaborate on that? Thanks for watching my video, Eddie. That video took off and currently has over 125,000 views. I still can't believe that. You can learn more about Appeal on my YouTube channel for Empowered Health Coaching. Appeal has changed their website and put out different information since I first produced my video over seven months ago. Basically, Appeal is now two different surface finishing agents, Edipeel and Organipeel. Edipeel is used on conventional produce, and Organipeel is used on organic produce. Either way, the coating once applied to the produce cannot be totally washed off. This is not like a wax, and the people that apply it have to have special training to do so. That's a red flag to me. I also wonder why there are two different chemicals being used. Per FDA guidelines, it can be applied to organic produce since it is not GMO or GE. Appeal recommends peeling the produce if it bothers you that the coating is there. One concern I have is, has the coating penetrated the peel and gone into the produce? As porous as most produce is, I would think so. What do you think? The coating is used to slow the produce from visibly breaking down and rotting. So on the outside, the produce doesn't appear to be going bad. Produce should naturally decay. All living matter will eventually decay. Keeping it from decaying artificially is not natural. When you can't see the produce decaying, how will you know how old the produce is? It may potentially be lower quality food. So what nutritional value does it actually still contain? Fresh is honestly the best. Originally, they were labeling the produce, but now it appears it is left up to the suppliers and retailers to let the consumer know. This may or may not happen. It also may not be obvious. Remember, appeal is not made for the consumer. It is for the producer. They were not upfront with their testing. So what are the long-term effects of appeal? Are we once again the guinea pigs? Please do your own research and decide if produce with appeal is something that you want to consume. If you can, try to find local farmers and learn their growing practices and support them if you find their practices are natural or grow your own. Don't worry if the local farmer is USDA organic or not. It is very expensive to get the certification and many small farmers can't afford the certification. Uh, by the way, uh, for the listeners, I'm going to include a link to Sherry's video in the description of the podcast. Make sure you check it out and subscribe to Sherry's YouTube channel and click the notification bell. You are correct uh, with the majority of fruit um, being porous, uh, such fruits like uh, strawberries, uh, raspberries, and peaches, to name a few. Uh, with thicker skin fruits like mangoes, banana, and watermelon, uh, there's a greater chance that that surfacing agent won't penetrate, but it would be better if the surfacing agent wasn't used to begin with. 
Some may be wondering if organic and non-GMO fruits and vegetables are better than conventional. Some argue that there's no difference other than paying the higher price for organic. Others go on to say that they have the same amount of nutrients and benefits. To be honest, um, I believe that organic um, fruits and vegetables are better for you. Organic use pesticides just like conventional, but organic farmers use organic pesticides and not the harmful chemicals that are traditionally used by conventional agriculture. Due to this, organic crops are healthier, cleaner, safer, and they taste better. I agree with you, Eddie. The practices used with organic produce are not as toxic. What I tell my clients is the less toxins you consume through eating, the better. Your body is working hard to keep you healthy and well. The more toxins you bring into your body, the harder it has to fight to keep you well. The toxins may impair your digestive and immune systems. Toxins are not normal to your body, so it doesn't know what to do with them. Your body looks at them as invaders and will move the toxins to your fat stores to try to keep them away from your vital organs. They are not just excreted from your body. The goal is for you to take in less toxins than your body is able to remove. Honestly, eating lower toxic foods, such as organic, real food, is a way of detoxing. Sherry, you know what I find mind-boggling? Whenever a chemical is banned in China, the European Union, and Russia, that it continues to be used in the United States. Many are probably wondering how we match up with other countries around the world in regard to this. In the U.S., we use over 1 billion pounds of pesticides annually, while the rest of the world combined uses just over 5 billion. To put that in stark perspective, the United States makes up only 5% of the world's population. In 2015, Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, labeled a certain agrochemical company, which I won't mention, a terrorist organization. He pledged to sign into law that anyone who imported or anyone that grew genetically modified crops or meat in Russia, that they would be labeled as terrorists and would face hefty fines and jail time. In 2016, it became law as the Federal Council passed the bill. I've included a, a few links in the description of the podcast for those who wish to check that out. President Putin is even giving away land to farmers who will grow only organic fruits and vegetables. The amount of pesticides used by the U.S. is horrifying. Let's put that into another perspective. The U.S. uses over one-fifth of the world's pesticides annually for only 5% of the world population. Most countries don't allow Monsanto's chemicals to be used on their food. Those countries know the harm it is doing to their citizens' health. It's not the U.S. taxpayers' responsibility to try to feed the world at the expense of the U.S. taxpayers' health, especially when other countries won't import our food due to the chemicals used on them. I love that Vladimir Putin, no matter how you feel about him, has designated Monsanto as a terrorist organization. I believe he's correct. If organic farming isn't capable of feeding enough people, then how will Russia survive? The fact is, 
Organic farming was the norm only 100 years ago. There wasn't organic and conventional. It was all organic. It is possible to feed the world on healthy organic foods. Please do your own research. Don't just believe what Eddie and I are telling you. It's a blessing to have you on the show, Sherry. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to share your knowledge and wisdom. I've learned so much from you, and I'd love to have you on the show again as a guest in the future. Thank you, Eddie. It really was an honor to be asked to share my views on your show. I would be happy to join you again in the future. Remember, knowledge is power if you implement what you learn. Making changes is not about perfection. Take baby steps, and you will see changes in your health and wellness. Please head over to my website and book your free strategy session so you can start taking those baby steps. While you're there, go to the free stuff tab. There are lots of free things, including a clean food cheat sheet that you may find helpful. I hope you all have a wonderful, blessed day. Don't forget to visit Sherry's website to book a consultation with her at empoweredhealthcoaching.com. And don't forget to check her out on YouTube. Links are in the description of the podcast. That's going to do it for episode 14 of season three of the Living Healthy Podcast. I hope you found this podcast informative, beneficial, and I hope that I've motivated you to make the decision that you'd like to make. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time. Living healthy creates a better you.